Today on In Grace, we're gonna talk about the age of rocks. Sounds boring, but it's actually gonna rock your world. Welcome to In Grace with Jim Scudder Jr. He is the senior pastor of Quentin Road Baptist Church in Lake Zurich, Illinois, as well as the host of In Grace Radio and TV. Hi, this is Pastor Jim Scudder Jr. And today on our very special Friday and weekend edition of In Grace, we are going to talk with a PhD scientist, Dr. John Bumgardner. Dr. Bumgardner is an expert in the area of radioisotope dating methods. A lot of people have misinterpreted the decay rates of radioisotopes, and they have said that because of that decay rate or the lack of certain elements in the rock, that the earth has to be millions or billions of years old. And they've really messed up the chronology of the Bible. And so Dr. John Bumgartner was a member of the RATE team, R-A-T-E. And that was a team of people that were looking at the radioisotope dating and trying to figure out what in the world is going on here because they recognize that most of the Earth's igneous rocks do contain millions to billions of years worth of nuclear decay products. So they're trying to figure out why that is when the Bible indicates the earth is much younger, six to 10,000 years old. So I think you're going to really love my sit-down talk with Dr. John Bumgartner about radioisotope decay. And you'll learn something today, I think, that will really help you understand how to answer people that say the earth is millions or billions of years old and not the biblical age that the biblical chronologies indicate. So you're going to be blessed today as you learn all of this. Now, let me tell you, right before we go to our interview with Dr. John Bumgarner, let me tell you about a very special video series that I think you should get that relates to what we're talking about today. It's called Dinosaurs That Destroy Evolution. And we filmed this dinosaur dig amidst all sorts of crazy things happening, including a forest fire. And in that dig site, we find dinosaurs that should not have lived together all intermixed in the same layer. Well, that tells you there's something wrong with the so-called dating methods. And so you're going to really enjoy this two-part video series, Dinosaurs That Destroy Evolution. This is my way of thanking you when you give a gift to Ingrace, making sure more people hear the gospel through our media ministries. Contact us today at 1-800-78-GRACE or go to ingraceradio.com to make your gift. If you'd like to send a check, you can send it to Ingrace, P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. If your gift can be $35 or more, let me send you two more great video adventure series. One is called Origins, a tour of the Institute for Creation Research's museum in Dallas, Texas by Frank Sherwin. And we had another creation museum tour. This was the Creation Evidence Museum in Glen Rose, Texas with Dr. Carl Ball. That video series is called Irrefutable Creation Evidence. These videos will give you all the tools you'll need to answer people's questions about the reliability of the Bible and the reliability of the book of Genesis. Contact us today. Just call us, 800-78-GRACE, or go online, ingraceradio.com. You can also write to us at InGrace, 
P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. I became a Christian when I was 26 years old, already in graduate school. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another. I became very sensitized to the importance of the early chapters of Genesis. Mm -hmm. Very gripped by it. And... Uh, realize the need for those chapters to be adequately defended mm -hmm. by the Christian world. I felt God calling me when he showed me that, that uh, the flood had to be significantly a tectonic catastrophe. I, uh, that was when I felt led to uh, enroll in a PhD program at UCLA. And he got me through that in an incredible way, allowed me to develop this first spherical model of uh, the motions within the earth in the earth's mantle, this code you mentioned that's now called Terra. I developed that working at Los Alamos National Laboratory, had access to the big computers there, had a mathematician had just the numerical method huh. that allowed this, this kind of program to be even possible. Do you find a lot of evidence for an old earth or a young earth? I believe the case is strong today that the Earth is, is young, only a few thousand years old. As a scientist, the work that I've done over the last 40 years has uh, persuaded me that the Earth indeed is very young. One easy to understand evidence is the fact we're finding soft tissue in fossils. First in, in dinosaurs, flexible blood vessels still with blood blood cells in the blood vessels, and now soft tissue from throughout the fossil record in fossils that are dated hundreds of millions of years old. Flesh just doesn't no. stay undecayed for even a thousand years, to me, is astonishing. That is. But, but not certainly not for millions or tens of millions or hundreds of millions of years. Let's go back to plate tectonics, though, because that's Again, one of your fortes, uh, you, wrote, you wrote the program. You were the guy. I mean, you were featured in U.S. News & World Report uh, magazine. How do we reach the, reach the conclusion that plate tectonics played a role during the flood? Mm -hmm. The way that I came to this realization had to do with uh, focusing on the, the ocean floor and the fact that today's ocean floor, uh, which is produced as plates pull apart at a mid-ocean ridge and, and some melted rock, molten rock, basaltic rock, come, rises and fills that gap and creates a, a little bit no, more ocean plate. As, the, as these uh, plates pull apart, magma rises to fill the gap, cools, hardens, and, and adds a little, little extra strip onto that, onto that plate that's moving away. As we look at the fossils on the seafloor, even the, the isotopes in these rocks, everybody, creationists and evolutionists together, conclude that the ocean floor today is younger, all of it is younger than much of the continental fossil-bearing rock record. Okay, so there is movement today of these plates, but it's very slow. You said it was about the, the speed of your fingernail growing. That's right. <laughs> so, but, but you're talking about catastrophic plate tectonics, meaning during the flood, you believe that the, the Earth's plates were moving 
at miles an hour? At a few miles per hour, on the order of maybe five miles an hour. Which is unbelievable. We can imagine something moving at that speed, five miles an hour, but it's it represents a speed about a billion times faster than the plates are moving today. A logical question is, how could that possibly happen? Right. Well, it, it turns out that laboratory studies show that the minerals in the mantle, when put under stress, weaken. It's surprising to know, to find, that that they can weaken by a factor of, of as much as a billion or even more than a billion. It can becomes weaker. And so if you have regions of cold material and denser because it's colder in the mantle with gravity acting on it, you've got the potential, if things weaken with stress, but potential for a runaway situation. In other words, as this blob, cold blob, dense blob starts to sink, the stresses around it increase, making the region around it weaker, that allows the blob to sink faster, makes the stresses higher, allows the blob to... It just continues to, to speed up and speed up and then run away. And then run away. So this global plate tectonic model would have explained the mid-ocean seam yep. and the, the ridge, and it would have also explained the fountains of the Great Deep, meaning these jets of water. Maybe go into that for a second. How would that uh, have contributed to the flood? Okay, the just inherent in this model, you, you have have the, the tectonic plates moving rapidly apart. Yeah. So you have a, a lot of molten rock in direct contact with seawater at the bottom of the ocean. And what what happens is that water is essentially very quickly, almost instantly converted to steam. Mm. At those temperatures and those pressures, that, that steam is converted into a, a steam jet, supersonic steam jet, and training liquid water in its fringes and carrying that water high into the atmosphere. How up high? In, into the stratosphere. <laughs> and then that, that liquid water uh, falls back as rain. The mantle... They've uh, been able to seismically uh, get Image, temperatures yeah. of it? They get basically, uh, it's called seismic tomography, uh -huh. using earthquake waves to basically uh, obtain a 3D image of the structure of the inside of the Earth. And what did that show you that, again, fits in with what we're talking about with the catastrophic global plate tectonics. What these images show is a ring of cold material roughly around where the subduction around the Pacific would have taken place at, this, at, at the bottom of the mantle, the very bottom, just above the core, a ring of material. And its seismic speed uh, is uh, so high that if, if that's due to a temperature difference, it means that that material is about 5,000 degrees colder than adjacent material, which appears to be uh, the hot material that had been next to the core mantle boundary that's been squeezed up, sort of like toothpaste, in the middle of the ring on each side of the Earth. So that's telling you what, that the crust coming in that was cold has gone down into the mantle and it's still... It's still at the temperature, very close to the temperature of this cold layer that we have at the, at the Earth's surface today. So it fits with what you're thinking, but that doesn't fit the, 
you know, centimeter to a year no. uh, subduction that we see today. No. It, so again, it fits the biblical flood model. Right. It means that that material had to have gotten down there very recently. Otherwise, it would have been heated up and, and you wouldn't see that temperature difference. Huh. So it's, it's powerful so evidence, evidence. Yeah. of a recent episode of catastrophic plate tectonics. Does the catastrophic plate tectonic model that you worked on that we believe happened during the flood, does that predict an ice age? It does predict an ice age. Uh, and uh, the reason is that the oceans during this cataclysm get warmed significantly. And there's evidence in the record that uh, at the end, at what would correspond to the end of the flood, uh, the oceans were roughly uh, the temperature of the surface waters in the equatorial regions today from top to bottom and from equator to pole, that the, all of the ocean was warm. So that also means then you're going to have a lot of evaporation. And then after the flood, you have a, a lot of evaporation, mm -hmm. uh, warm, moist air rising and moving poleward, very heavy rain and snow, more snow in the winter than could melt in the summer, and a rapid buildup of ice sheets in the high latitudes. Huh. And uh, and then it, then once the ocean cooled off, that uh, the rate of that ice sheet production would, would plummet. And uh, so you'd have a, an intense ice age, migration of these ice sheets southward, producing all these moraines and so on we see in this area, and then things warmed up. Uh, then, then, then all that ice melted. I believe we have an explanation for the ice age where the, the secular community is still grasping at straws mm -hmm. trying to explain the ice age. Your kids and grandkids are being bombarded by evolution and humanism. Equip them with resources that will help them not only survive, but thrive. As a thank you for your gift of any amount this week, Jim Scudder will send you an action-packed dinosaur adventure called Dinosaurs That Destroy Evolution. When your gift is $35 or more, you will receive two more exciting video adventures, irrefutable creation evidence, a behind-the-scenes tour of Carl Baugh's fascinating Creation Evidence Museum in Glen Rose, Texas, and Origins, Creation or Evolution, a walk through the incredible Institute for Creation Research Discovery Center with Frank Sherwin. To make an investment in Grace, call now, 800-78-GRACE. Go to ingraceradio.com or write to ingrace. Again, that's 800-78-GRACE, ingraceradio.com or P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. We are going to talk about something that I think is so important, and that is, how do we know how old the Earth is? And I know you were involved in a project called RATE, and that's radioisotope and the age and of the age of the Earth. Okay, so I know you would know that, but you and a group of other scientists set out on a multi-year journey to understand. Uh, dating methods, basically. That's right. And radioisotope dating. So explain that just in like 30 seconds, if that's possible. Okay. Certain elements uh, are not stable. They spontaneously transform. For example, if a rock has uranium in it, uranium decays spontaneously to lead. So if you take that rock, measure the amount of uranium, measure the amount of lead, know what the rate of 
of transformation is, you can back out an age for that rock. Some of these dates are coming back at millions of years, but the, the Bible tells us that the earth isn't that old. That's right. Because of the genealogies from Adam to Abraham and other things. We, we don't believe the earth is that old. No. So what is, what is then the key? What is the answer? What did you guys figure out? All right, well, that was our charge. That was what we were tasked to figure out, to come up with the answer why these methods give ages from millions to billions of years, while the Bible, the scripture, very plainly, clearly indicates that the age, that the Earth's age is only a few thousand. Well, I'm excited to hear more about this, the age of the Earth, uh, how different the biblical view of this is than mainstream science. We should be able to find answers to any question. Right, exactly, exactly. Okay. And it's exciting to be finding these answers. Amen. I can't wait to sit inside with you and discuss all this in more detail. Okay. Let's do it. So you and your colleagues spent a number of years working on this called rate and just try to understand why are some of the radioisotope dating methods giving us such massive numbers of years for dating rocks and stuff like that? As far as C14 goes, when we came into the project, we were aware of something like 100 papers in the peer-reviewed radiocarbon literature that were reporting C14 in fossils and other materials from deep within the geological record, the portions of the geological record that represented millions of years ago. So you shouldn't 10 have million, uh, you know, C14 then in those samples. That was a bit, that was what prompted all these publications. Huh. It was entirely unexpected huh. and, and uh, a, a, a genuine enigma to the, to the technical community. You know, where, how, where could, this much C14 possibly come from. How much time should there be until there's no carbon-14 left in that fossil? Okay, well, first of all, uh, there's only a tiny amount of C14 uh, in living things today. Okay. It basically reflects the C14 level in the atmosphere, and plants take in the, C, the C carbon dioxide to make their tissues through photosynthesis, Animals eat the plants so that essentially all living organisms that are, have contact with the atmosphere or with seawater have essentially the same concentration of C14 as the atmosphere. And that concentration is about one atom of C14 to every trillion atoms of C12. Oh. Okay. Okay, so it's a tiny fraction to start sure. with. And so that corresponds at the half-life of 5,730 years, a, uh, a, a date of 100,000 years. Got it. If it's supposed to be a million or 100 million, uh, and it still has carbon-14, so, something's really off on, yes. on this. Yeah. And that's what you guys found. So what did you study? How did you then study the carbon-14 issues? Right. So we got 10 coal samples from the U.S. Coal Repository at Penn State University. Hmm. We sent it to what we deemed to be the best C14 lab in the world, and we requested their highest precision uh, analyses, which means you know making multiple runs on each sample and looking for any deviation, any hint there was any problem. Hmm. And, and so we, we got the absolute best 
analysis that was possible. And you got the reports back. Got the reports back, got the, the C-14 levels they reported were exactly in the range that was already documented in the peer-reviewed literature. So you're talking about instead of millions of years, you're talking about just thousands. And, what, what, and roughly so the, the dates, dates. The, these uh, 10 samples, the average was 49,000 years, okay, so, radiocarbon years. So we would expect all the coal deposits to be a result of the flood, which coal is uh, like tree bark, right, that falls down and gets compressed under under pressure and forming these seams. So we would say that's a result of the Noah flood, uh, and that would be around the date age that we would expect it to be. It's older than we might expect, I would say, but we don't know what the C-14 levels were before Originally. the flood. So you think the C-14 levels might have been a little higher pre-flood? Uh, based on other work we did, I believe most of this C-14 was produced by a rapid nuclear decay during the flood itself. Got it. That it's not from, from uh, original Atmosphere. C-14 uh, that existed before the flood. Got it. But either, either way, you're still so much closer yeah, yeah. than the, the uh, evolutionists. Yeah, but, but the fact remains, we verified that there's C-14 where it should not, should not be. be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and then also I think you had studied uh, carbon-14 in diamonds. Yeah, and actually in that same batch of samples, that are, uh, the 10 cold samples, we included a diamond. Just to see, and lo and behold, it came back that that the lab detected that there was C14 in that diamond. So you've done all this work, and you've spent a lot of money. I think probably over a million dollars to do all these uh, studies, and uh, the results are are available for people to look at. Um, again, proving that this Earth isn't millions or billions of years old, but but much younger. You guys did very good science. And you came up with conclusions that match with the Bible and the creation account. Appreciate all that you've done, Dr. John Baumgartner, and uh, God bless you for all that you've done. Does it really matter if a rock is 2 million years old or 2,000 years old? Well, it does, here's why. Because the age of the earth is a central feature of the Bible. Although the Bible doesn't say exactly how old the earth is, the Bible does say via genealogies that the earth isn't millions of years old. There's no way that evolution could be true and millions of years could be true. And the reason is because death followed sin. And you couldn't have death and then sin as evolution suggests. No, we aren't millions of years old on this earth. We didn't evolve. We came about by a creation, by a creator God who loves us. We were born with a sin nature and we sin. Our sin separates us from God. I think if we understood how holy and righteous God is, then we would finally understand how terrible and awful sin is. Sin separates us from God. So what are we gonna do? Well, God created us for fellowship, so he took the initiative and sent his only son, Jesus, to die for our sins on a cross. He rose again the third day. And the, the greatest message, the message of hope is this, that God loves you, Jesus, the Son of God died for you, and if you will put your faith in him, you will be saved from your sin. You will be back in fellowship with God. You will not spend eternity separated from God in hell. You will be with God forever in heaven. That's the greatest news. I get such joy every time I share that, and I hope that you have put your trust, your faith 
in Jesus Christ. It's a one-time decision where you say, I'm a sinner, I can't save myself, but right now I put my trust, my faith in Jesus, the one who died on a cross for my sins and rose again. I believe in him. And if you will do that, the Bible says that you are saved. Your kids and grandkids are being bombarded by evolution and humanism. Equip them with resources that will help them not only survive, but thrive. As a thank you for your gift of any amount this week, Jim Scudder will send you an action-packed dinosaur adventure called Dinosaurs That Destroy Evolution. When your gift is $35 or more, you will receive two more exciting video adventures, irrefutable creation evidence, a behind-the-scenes tour of Carl Baugh's fascinating Creation Evidence Museum in Glen Rose, Texas, and Origins, Creation or Evolution, a walk through the incredible Institute for Creation Research Discovery Center with Frank Sherwin. To make an investment in grace, call now, 800-78-GRACE. Go to ingraceradio.com or write to ingrace. Again, that's 800-78-GRACE, ingraceradio.com, or P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Thank you for joining us on Ingrace Radio with Jim Scudder, Jr. Ingrace is a member of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. Our goal is to share the light of Jesus to a darkening world, helping you find hope, gain purpose, and be a light. You can be that light today by joining our mission to spread the gospel around the world. Just call us, 800-78-GRACE, or go online, ingraceradio.com. You can also write to us at InGrace, P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Tune in next week as we continue to explore God's Word and His world on InGrace Radio.